Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. A people's history of Chopping Mall. <laughs> Hello everybody, it's time for another episode of Horror Vanguard. I'm John, joined as always by my good friend Ash. Ash, how are you doing? Um, I'm I'm doing pretty good. I'm recording this uh, right now outside of the food court of a shopping mall. Oh, is this the is this the the mall that you were telling me about, the one that's recently been taken over by Boston Dynamics? Yeah, I'm 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 at the Boston Dynamics uh San Fernando Valley Shopping Center. I've heard it's good. <clears throat> um it's it's really great. We've got a we've got a KB Toys We've got uh, an Auntie Anne's. It's it's really nice here. There are these menacing dogs with uh, guns strapped to their heads, but outside of that, everything's peachy keen. So, sounds like a blast. It sounds like a blast. Oh, it's a blast, all right. <laughs> it's kind of fitting uh, that you're that you're there uh, for reasons that we'll get into. But before all that, a word from our sponsors. This program is made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Go to patreon.com slash horrorvanguard and get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive content. Thank you for listening and stay spooky. It's not wolves. It's wolf. 20,000 years. Ten times you're fucking Christian era. And we're back. <laughs> and we're back. Uh, as you may have as you may have guessed, as you probably have guessed, by looking at things, some of the contextual c- c- clues, like the uh, episode title, <laughs> we are t- we are talking about the much underrated 1980s horror classic, Chopping Mall. Um, now, uh, it, it's underrated, and I think both uh, me and Ash would say that it's probably underviewed nowadays. A bit of a kind of cult classic. So. Um, you know, this this next section will probably be very useful for people, Ash. Would you mind explaining uh, what is Chopping Mall all about? We live in the Chopping Mall. Perhaps better than any other film ever created, this film depicts the reality of the working class. Harassed, abused, and mocked, we are left to plod our way through vacuous jobs as we spend every moment pining for those brief few hours wherein we are nearly free enough to enjoy our lives. The After Hours Mall represents a playground of the perverse. It is access to luxury normally gated behind the money that flows through our fingers like sand. It is the fantasy of wealth. However, this is a horror movie, and no fantasy is complete without its demons. Killbots, security guards, and cops all function to defend property and legitimize property relationships. The citadel of the shopping mall defends its food, its essential goods, at all costs from the hungry and unsheltered masses. The killbots in shopping mall don't malfunction. They hyperfunction. They do the job that we know they will. In 2016, Dallas police used a, a robot armed with one pound of explosives to kill a sniper after negotiations failed. One year after that, in 2017, a Silicon Valley man was arrested for, in massive inverted commas, assault when he attacked a police crime prevention robot 
that and even larger inverted commas. In the first month of 2020, Boston Dynamics, who develops advanced robotics with funding from the military, released a video of their soon-to-be killbots dancing to the song Do You Love Me by The Contours. The American shopping mall, capitalism's greatest cathedral, may have crumbled under the weight of worsening economic conditions, but the killbots have left the building and are getting new and much more serious employment. We no longer live in the chopping mall. The chopping mall lives in us. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Welcome to uh, the chopping mall panopticon. Um, I hope you enjoy your tasty freeze and your KB Toys gift card. Uh, we do truly live in a society. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think about this movie? I love this movie. I love it in for for all of its this is going to sound like this is going to sound like I'm I'm sort of like denigrating this film but it's actually it's actually one of the reasons I think it's so effective is that this is this is much more than just the sum of its mechanical parts as it were <laughs> like this is maybe the purest distillation of an 80s teen horror movie that I've seen in a very long time and it's like everything has been boiled down to its like its essence there's there is cinematic distillation happening. And it is, uh, it's just great. It's just a lot of fun. Um, that was my kind of first intuitive reaction. And then I was like, we are going to have some fucking discourse about this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it is about, it is about, I, I also love, I also love a horror film that tells you literally everything you need to know from the title of the horror film. Um, uh, I think they should bring that back. You know, it's like attack of the killer space crabs tells you everything you need to know. Uh, attack of the giant bunny rabbits, another example. And this, this fits into that category. Um, what about you? What do you think? Uh, this, this movie is a minor miracle. I I think this is, uh, Jim Wynorski is two more away from sainthood. If we can find those other two miracles, we can canonize (laughs) Wynorski. This movie's fantastic. Um, I think like on, um, I, I love the the effects are cheesy, but this this is a uh, Corman universe '80s teen horror movie, so it's all appropriate for what it is. Completely, uh, nothing yeah. feels out of place, and our teens are like incredibly lived in, well balanced characters. Mm-hmm. They make reasonable decisions for who they are and the world that they're in. There, there's not a lot of like it, it's not. A lot of 80, a lot of eighties teen horror is deeply indebted to teen exploitation, mm-hmm. and, and and it's got that I accuse my parents vibe. Uh, this this doesn't these these all feel like real people with with lives and goals and character and idea who are kind of stuck in a mall full of Boston Dynamics dogs. Uh, yes, that that is that is literally the the uh, the plot. It's uh, a group of horny teenagers are in the mall. Um, uh, and after hours to have a party and, uh, and bone, uh, but, oh no, killer robots. Um, it's great. Uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, it is available for free on quite a few streaming services and it's so worth watching. And, and this movie, the poster is deeply unreliable. Uh, this, this fits into the beautiful, uh, Corman tradition of movie posters that have almost nothing to do with the movie itself. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> so you Absolutely. will not be getting a robotic demon knight hand. Uh, that that is not what these these are. These are uh, budget Johnny Five Thousand robots. I I oh what's it what's the, I loved Short Circuit when I was a kid. <laughs> oh my god! Seriously, a phenomenal phenomenal film. Um, also, a film that is like. If you want your Boston Dynamics uh, military funding robot death squad discourse, uh, Short Circuit is the movie you go to for it. I mean, we really should have done this as like a, a double feature, I think. Um, but you know what? I, I I think the the pure, as I said, the pure distillation of the discourse is right here in Chopping Wall. Um, should we should we start by talking about the Killbots then? Yeah, yeah, I think I think like the obviously, you know, we're, we're talking about Chopping Mall, uh, which the original title was Killbot. Mm-hmm. So yep. we need to talk about our Killbots. We do indeed. Uh, who, who they are, what they are, what they do, why they do it. I, I think it's all it's all vital, right? Because ostensibly, like this movie opens up with a movie within the movie uh, that 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 shows a criminal being. Uh, and like like the way the criminal is depicted, I think, is really telling because he like he he looks like crazed you know like like almost mm-hmm. like almost like a 28 days later zombie you know he's he's like depraved looking and kind of greasy and like it's it's very like there's so much there's so much class reading going on in how they depict their criminals right and so these these robots are designed to kind of like uh uh safely subdue and detain criminals right they have they have like they're they're loaded with less than lethal weaponry they have tasers they have sleep darts but i mean like as we all very well know less than lethal is not non-lethal right those two are not separable right they're fused yeah absolutely and like and we we see that throughout the movie right these robots are killing people with all of their less than lethal technology Uh, and And killing them incredibly easily as well (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Every everybody in this movie is kind of a lunkhead who just like walks into their own demise. But what are you gonna do? But what are you gonna do? <laughs> it's it's a Corman movie. Come on, get on board. <laughs> right. It's 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 in the Roger Corman universe. It's eighties teens, low budget garbage. They kind of have to walk into their own demise sometimes. What this really highlights for us is that these these robots aren't malfunctioning. They're functioning as intended. You know, they're they're doing the thing that they would be doing otherwise. It's just horrific now because they're doing it to the wrong people. They're 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 doing it to American Dream teenagers, right? Like they're 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 working at the pizza joint with the scummy boss, and at the furniture store in the mall. They're they're having normal lives, and you know if if these robots would have been attacking like people trying to steal stereos or whatever, like the the coding of the movie shifts deeply when we change like the class dynamics of our characters who are wearing like ties and button up shirts. Absolutely, and I think what chimes with with this is. There's something really interesting about um, one specific detail of what the killbots uh, are, are there to ostensibly protect. But I am just going to call them killbots because that's what they are. Um, and it's in that infomercial with which the film opens, the, 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 the scientist, uh, generic scientist number 12, says <laughs> that the, uh, the killbots work for the mall. They don't work for the people who operate their small business out of the mall, which is a very important distinction, I think, right? So uh, they're not there to protect. I and, and I want to get into some mall discourse later anyway, is what malls are and what they're for. 
but like these are instruments which are designed to protect capital first and foremost right they're not yes. there to you know even if even if let's say there's someone who has got their own little independent kiosk or booth it's not there to protect them it's there to protect their landlord you know the the holding company that operates the mall itself and i think that's a really important detail that kind of links directly back into that kind of class coding discourse you were talking about mm-hmm. no i i think i think you're you're absolutely completely right and one thing i want to talk about today is gamestop let's do it <laughs> let's, your number one source for used and new video gaming equipment okay uh but yeah no so so uh you might have heard of gamestop uh in the news recently because it's destroying the stock market <laughs> <laughs> so the gamers have finally done it they've risen up um they've assembled their pitchforks and by meme posting on a subreddit they have destroyed the economy um so we all knew this day was coming and if you like me were wise and hunkered in you've invested all of your life savings into used ps2 game titles which are now worth about 12 bricks of gold apiece mm-hmm. yep. so um i salute my fellow uh people who have piles of crash bandicoot titles uh we rule the world now and you can join me at the gamer citadel that is defended that is defended by killbots <laughs> But no, so basically, basically what I find to be really interesting that ties in with this movie, right? You know, GameStop is a fixture of every mall across the United States. If your mall's still standing, odds are it's got a GameStop in it. And like, wait, what is interesting to me is like what we're witnessing right now is, is a great object lesson on who the killbots see as criminals, right? You know, the, the, the killbots aren't going to wander Wall Street and wait for somebody who's doing like scummy trading stuff. You know, that's going to bankrupt a company and like, you know, like the killbots are never going to get hedge fund managers. <clears throat> you know, those people are never getting tasered as 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 they do insider trading or something. Right. Yeah. Right. The killbots are going to the killbots are going to brutally murder a man who like, I don't know, steals steals like a Game Boy or something. Right. Like and this is this is what the system is designed to do. Right. Like it's designed to defend property and to let us know which property relations are truly important, right? It is infinitely, under the eyes of of the world we live in, it is infinitely worse that you steal a loaf of bread rather than you uh, bankrupt a hospital in a hundreds of millions of dollars uh, trading scam. Well, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so uh, it, it is what you're saying then, solidarity with the gamers, Ooh, I don't know. I don't know if I can go that far. <laughs> as as someone who plays games, I don't know if I can have solidarity with myself. <laughs> well, I, I think the important thing to kind of pay attention to here is that the the um, the anarchist and leftist critique of, of of police has always been that they protect uh, property, not people. Mm-hmm. That's that that's been the case since at least the nineteenth century, and even with the hyper technologization of these uh, carceral procedures, these procedures of the carceral state um, that are designed uh, to uh, kind of obscure their violence behind a kind of shield of technological efficiency and surveillance, the same problem still holds true, right? The, the yes. position has to be 
of, of any kind of like political analysis worth its name, uh, full abolition. No, totally. And that includes killbots. And that you know, includes like killbots. <laughs> The, 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 these are these are apparatus of the surveillance state, right? Like like killbots are not fiction, mm-hmm. right? We have killbots. We live in a world where there are killbots. They're just not goofy and cute looking, right? And and this technology will get worse if it is not stopped, right? And I think like that is one of the most important. Like this is the same conversation we had in RoboCop, and this is always the conversation to have, right? I'll pivot to the Simpsons, right? Everybody loves the Simpsons. Simpsons predicted whatever memes. Simpsons predicted COVID. Simpsons, Simpsons predicted this, that, or the other. Simpsons has been has never predicted a single thing ever, right? Uh, Simpsons is just reacting to the world in which it's in, and nothing has changed in three decades, right? We 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 are going through these same cycles and these same phenomenological instances, and the killbots are an extension of robocop right it's the militar militarization of police and security forces and that that's the the crux of the fear here it's private companies who are developing military gear but also selling it to the private market and if we want to take this dialogue a step further i mean like this is this is colonial power come home to roost right like these are the technologies that are that are creating coups in the third world so chiquita bananas can can maintain its monopoly or whatever yeah absolutely killbots colon chiquita bananas is that the episode title i don't know let's keep talking and find out (laughs) yeah you're right nothing nothing has really changed we're still dealing with the same problems and i actually think that this film as well as robocop get an awful lot right about uh, the conditions which you know we can extrapolate from to the present. There are a couple of things that I think they they get wrong about it though, which I actually think are really important to talk about. But we'll get onto that in in due course. Um, I'm just looking at our notes doc that we that we set up when we when we have a film that we want to talk about, and you've just written the phrase "better dawn of the dead." So so actually, uh, I think that's a perfect lead-in because you and I both have like. What I what I what I'm going to describe as meltdown Godzilla level hot takes about this film. All right, yeah, let's do it. Let's and, let's. and mine is this is a better version of Dawn of the Dead. This is this is superior in every way to Dawn of the Dead. Uh, this makes Dawn of the Dead look like an inept student film. Um, stop talking about Dawn of the Dead when you want to talk about consumerism, malls, and capitalisms, and start capitalism's while. Um, capitalism and start talking about chopping mall mm-hmm. right uh dawn dawn of the dead uh has bad discourse right it, effectively it says there are good and bad consumers and if you're a smart viewer of the film you're a good consumer you're not like the slavering hordes right like but the the movie is inept and in, the, in that conversation it doesn't actually know what it wants to talk about or how it's talking about it it's just giving us a very it's, it's giving us pablum. It's giving us a very quick, oh, like com- compulsive, conspicuous shopping is bad, you know, without interrogating larger systems. Let us now pivot to Chopping Mall, right? The opening of Chopping Mall is like, I, I was I was kind of half kidding at the beginning when I said that this was a bit, a bit like surreal, but the start of the Chopping Mall is a beautiful sequence. It's people shopping at a mall. It's it's these like like beautiful models like like then a pageant parade walking through the mall. It's people tripping over each other, bumping into each other. It's like raw chaos, and it's filmed in all of these like disjointed quick cuts, and and I think that single handedly better represents 
the kind of consumerism and and the ways we relate to consumerism better than Dawn of the Dead. And further, uh, uh, this movie doesn't suggest that there are good and bad consumers. It suggests that there are workers who are trapped in the labyrinthian mechanizations of capital who are beset upon by the security forces that give the system legitimized power. Right, like this is a much better discourse. It's not. It's not about consumers fighting over fighting each other over who can be more morally righteous. It's about people uniting against a common threat, and whether or not and how they unite is deeply important, as we see in the course of the film. There, there's my there's my scathing hot take. Romero, uh, take a seat. Wynorski, step up to the mic. I look forward to revisiting this when we do the inevitable Romero retrospective, which is. Coming like a freight train. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 it's, and it's me like a silent movie hero uh, desperately uh, throwing tracks down so I don't get ran over by that train. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, 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 that's my uh, uh, atomic, atomic Killbots take. I, I, you know what? I, I would agree with that. That's not... Um, you know, there are times, there are times, Ash, in our conversations when you will start a sentence and I will have no idea where that sentence is going to end up. <laughs> but you know what? I'm with you on this. I actually, I, I, I don't know if I would be as, as quick to dismiss Romero, um, but that is a minor, that's a minor disagreement. I actually think you make a very compelling point. And, and, and just to be clear, I don't say we should... I, I shouldn't say that we should dismiss Romero, but I do really firmly believe that using Dawn as the horror discourse for consumerism, capitalism, the phenomena that is the shopping mall is limited. And we need to embrace why that limit exists. Yes, that I think is that I think is a really good point, actually, that I would completely agree with. OK, you want mine? Uh, yeah, now, 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 now it's your turn to throw yourself um, under under the oncoming tram that is discourse. <laughs> Here's my argument, and it's a bit more of a kind of meta argument about the content and form of this film. That this is basically an exercise in anti-humanist or or kind of post-humanist art. Because here's my here's the my hot take: there are no people in this film really there are no kind of human subjects in this film um what there are is you have automated processes that's our, our machines and you have a series of functions because whilst i agree with you that all of the characters are well drawn and the performances are generally pretty good these are not new right we, we, we know what mm -hmm. this film is and we don't come to this film looking for kind of character work what we come for is the function of each role and all of the functions work perfectly. It's a common universe film. Everything's very well put together. Um, it, it, it kind of makes sense, but really this, this is a kind of like experiment with a kind of a, a vision of, of, of a post human horror uh, because we don't really have kind of, people in inverted commas that die we have functions which get completed and then we have a big series of explosions um and i think that's a really interesting way of trying to horror can be very anthropocentric you know 
it's very concerned with with the status of the human subject. And I think this is interesting because basically in this, the human subject doesn't really matter. What matters is the kind of journey by which certain functions reach their end point. Um, that's my scathing hot take about this film. What do you think? I actually think that's really clever. I th- then how, how do you situate that next to the fact that this movie's antagonist is literally robots? Well, yeah, exactly. So we don't need, we don't need, because the whole point is that, um, the whole point of a kind of good horror antagonist is that there is a degree of connection. They need to be familiar enough to us uh, in order for there to be a kind of spark of recognition. And what I actually think is so incredible about this film is that it just goes, no, 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 no. We don't even need proto-human or semi-human uh, antagonists. We've we've moved past that entirely. Automation, the technologization of capital, the neoliberalism of the uh, the neoliberalization of the subject have kind of reached a, a kind of high point in the mid '80s, where we basically go, well, humans on an individual basis don't really matter, which means threats to humans on an individual basis don't really have to be all that human either. I I love this. <laughs> what, actually, what I'm saying. I, Brilliant. What I'm saying is, is, is Chopping Mall is an avant-garde formalist piece that reduces horror down to a. Uh, uh, you could you could map this out as a as a as a formula like the old Russian um, structuralists used to do with fairy stories, you know, people like Viktor Shlovsky back in the uh, mm-hmm. early early 1900s. You could write the formula of Chopping Mall out, um, and that is in no way to denigrate the quality of the, of the finished product, right? I actually really enjoy the film. Um, but it's just fascinating to me that in the 80s, in this kind of high point of American capitalism, you know, the emergence of, of these Foucaultian biopolitical discourses of power, uh, you have this film emerge, which basically goes, uh, you don't really need people to make a horror movie. You know, we just need a spooky black box <laughs> and, some, and some explosion effects. Um, I, I I honestly think that's incredible. I you are you are nailing this one on the head. I think this is perfect, and you've activated my trap card for today, and that's formalism. You triggered my trap card because we are yes. bringing formalism <laughs> back. We are doing formalism, and it's going to be so much more awesome than old formalism. Yes, form, formalism is back, baby. It's good again. It's good. It's good again. It's powerful. It's potent. We are doing and formalism, and it's going to be great. Um, and I think I'm right. You know, if you really, if you really uh, put some thought into it, you could, you could draw up the formula of this film. Because um, I mean, what I said at the, at the top of the show, it has distilled every beat, every every character function down to the kind of perfect moment. And this is a short movie as well, right? It's like 80 minutes long. Yeah, so, no, no, it's, it's a Corman movie. It's nice and crisp, and it gets in and gets out before you notice. Yep, not not an ounce of wasted uh, time. Um, so Which, we have deci- we've decided it's both a better Dawn of the Dead and experimentalist hyper formalist horror cinema. Uh, both of these things are true. In fact, these are <laughs> these are undisputable facts about the film, and anybody who disagrees with us will be sentenced to five years hard survival in the chopping mall detention facility. <laughs> This this leads us into something that I think is really interesting, and I know we both wanted to talk about that, and that's automation and workers' rights. Yes. 
Yes, let's so do I'm it. gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna lob this one over to you and you can knock it out of the park. Uh <laughs> no, this this is a film about automation, right? So uh what are the problems of having physical security guards? Uh they are fallible, they uh are uh, prone to um ostensible mistakes, but really the perfect functioning of their training. Um they are at risk and a potential liability. So really what you want is you want to condense all of that into a technological solution. Easier to control, um, easier to, uh, to, to maintain, uh, and uh, less expense. Automation is, is, from one point of view, the capitalist's greatest friend. Because you no longer have to worry about workers. You no longer have to worry about the, the, the potential self-organization. All you need is... Uh, kind of productive, not even productive power anymore. You need technological power and you can kind of just maintain things. You, would you agree with where I'm going so far? Yeah, no, I, I, th- I think this is, this is a great description of kind of like automation 101. Now, there is, there is, a, uh, there is a meme that, well, it, w- it was <laughs> a meme. It was a meme, which was uh, fully automated luxury communism. There was a book of the same name that came out and um we were lucky enough to go on the excellent podcast Death Sentence to talk about it. Do you want to talk about maybe what some of our issues with this idea of automation as a as a post-capitalist solution might be? Yes, because I think there, there are a lot of problems with viewing automation as our savior. And Chopping Mall, weirdly enough, becomes the perfect vehicle for this discourse, right? Because in in Chopping Mall, uh, the only workers associated with the killbots are two um, pseudo-scientist types who are sitting at what is supposedly the mall and or the killbots control center. Um, But really all they're doing is kind of just like reading books and eating donuts and getting murdered by killbots. And I think like (laughs) what what this is speaking to is the invisibilization of workers under under automation. Yeah. Right. We, We have a condition in which these these like these ro- there's no there's automation is a myth right there's no such thing as true automation right if you if you build a machine that sorts your warehouse for you you're going to need humans to service those machines you know if you build machines to service the machines you're going to need humans to service the machines that service the machines right this thing redacts in indefinitely and forever you know there will always be human workers and on top of that like uh, the hype around automated technology is desperately oversold automated cars are such a great example of this they're a myth right like those things are death machines and there are so many situations that they will be forever unable to handle because we lack anywhere near the technology to fully complete that let alone more complicated tasks like an automated plumber you know having an automated plumber come to your house when when every house has so many unique and individualized factors. So what we what we get at in this situation is like a lot of our visions of automated technology subtract the fact that no matter how far we go down the path of uh, automized labor, we're going to have humans doing the work. And uh, what I'm getting at with this is two two separate strains that are simultaneously true. Technology can be beneficial. It all depends on who wields the technology. In whose hands is the automized technology? Right? Is it the hands of organized labor or is it the hands of the profit motive? Um, and the second strain, which is equally true, is the Luddites were right, smash the fucking looms. Yes. Yes, on both points. 
And actually, the point about self-driving cars is an incredibly important one. Automation is often a code word for monopolization as well. Mm-hmm. Right. One of the most, uh, one of the biggest employers in the United States still is freight. Uh, <clears throat> working as a lorry driver, moving stuff around. Uh, and a really stable uh, rate of employment for um, cab drivers, getting people around. One of the reasons that ride-sharing apps have been pouring literally millions upon millions upon millions of dollars into automation is because what you need to do is you need to bulk up market share until you have a monopoly, and then suddenly you no longer have to deal with anything like unions or workers it's it, automation in that context, in the context of neoliberal capital, is a way of stripping workers of their rights. Technology is not in and of itself a bad thing. Technology in the frame and and uh, context of um, capitalist ideology can be enormously damaging. Uh, if, if you don't believe me, please, uh, there's an excellent book by uh, Wendy Dell called uh, Abolish Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, which talks about all of the things that technology is capable of doing and all of the reasons why its current ideological position doesn't allow for those things to emerge. And if you if you want what is single-handedly the most biting and historical example of this is the fact that we went through this over 100 years ago. Like literally look into the north of England and the Luddites and the smashing of the looms. Look into what happened when they switched over from fully manual worker-controlled looms to looms that were semi-automated. Right, mm-hmm. like that—that that is all you need to know for the entire history of of um, automation and labor, is is they're just going to find ways to kick out working people, and then you'll never have a job again. You know, like like their vision of the economy doesn't include space for like if, if we ever did automate trucks, there's no room for the truck driver any further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and or or you may not ever have a stable job again. Right, yeah. it's about you know it, it's about. Uh, the constant individualization of the subject, right? Mm. Atomization taken to the nth degree. We don't want you um, employed on a permanent contract. We don't want you working at the same time as your colleagues. We don't, et cetera, et cetera. But look at how efficient we are now because of our automated systems, right? That's, that's, that's the kind of discursive uh, contradiction that's going to be happening. So the question is like, uh those guys who are there to maintain the killbots what are their working conditions what about the what mm-hmm. about the people in the factories who made the electrical components who made yep. all the circuit boards who made the weaponry uh what about their working conditions Wait, what about the children who are mining the lithium batteries inside of the killbots yeah absolutely you know I it's n- po- killbots aren't mining the lithium to make the killbots you know, that point about the invisibilization of labor is actually, I think that's really, really important. This is, so this is yet another movie uh, that demonstrates how Elon Musk is the bad guy. Uh, yes. And if you didn't know that by now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. If you didn't know that by now, thank you for tuning in and picking this as your first episode with us. <laughs> But I think speaking of Elon Musk and internet memes and gamers, um, something else that I thought was really interesting about this movie is how the, the robots brutally enforce NoFap November. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, huge, a huge chunk of our plot. So our, the reason our teens are in the mall after hours um, is because they're going to throw a party. 
right? Because a bunch of them work at the furniture store and a bunch of them work at this restaurant in the mall. <clears throat> so they're throwing a huge party and we, we get like this sequence where like all the couples have paired off and most of the couples are sitting in kind of like, it's like a furniture showroom. So they're all beds that are like relatively next to each other and they're all having sex in those beds. So it's this kind of like weird, soft orgy that's going on. <laughs> so that's that's one level of the strangeness that we have here. Uh, Chopping Mall, whether it knows it or not, is is asking us very difficult questions about monogamy and sexual practices. Yep. So and and it gets even further complicated uh, when we realize that our heroes are the ones that never have sex, as as is the case in the world of horror. And the only true way to have sex is to watch Attack of the Crab Monsters. <laughs> yeah, it's the only it's the it's the only acceptable way to do it. Which which a contra- another controversial take, but I think that's right. I, I think we should only ever uh, experience human intimacy mediated by Attack of the Crab Monsters. Because <laughs> that's the point, right? That's um, the sex. Sex is the sex, especially in an eighties movie, is supposed to be somewhat transgressive, right? It's a it's a violation of uh, the, the kind of neoconservative social mores of the time. So the the whole point of what that's why you always you always die if you have sex in a in an eighties horror movie specifically. But that isn't to say that horror movies are opposed to uh, physical intimacy with another uh, or often multiple others, as we have said so many times on the show. Horror wants to do things to your body. Uh, and that's that's basically what our, our two our, our heroes have, right? Their moment where all of their other friends are are having sex in the beds, which are literally 10 feet away from them. Uh, and they have this awkward thing where they're like, well, they sure sound like they're having fun. Um, and they decide to watch Attack of the Crap Monsters as as a kind of equivalent. Which, which it is. I mean, arguably, I mean, like, you know, Attack of the Crab Monsters is a superior experience to sex. I don't think that's very controversial. I, I think that's even in the, uh, you know, like encyclopedia entry for sex, if I'm remembering <laughs> yes. it correctly. So this is this is this is more like we, we don't do this very often on the show, but this is just straight shooting hard science right now. <laughs> it's like the it's like the yeah, sure. Sex is good memes, but yeah, sure. <laughs> have you ever watched Attack of the Crab Monsters? Uh, sex is good. But have you ever watched Attack of the Crab Monsters whilst your friends all have sex around you? <laughs> What I think is really interesting here is that what movie we're in, you know, like the world of the film in which these things are happening, right? Uh, Because this movie is concerned with the distinctions between the robotic anti-life of the killbots and the lives of our human teens, right? And so so these these sexual scenes are, uh, they're funny, they're awkward, you know, they, they might be nostalgic for your own teenage years or relatable if that's what you're going through right now. But uh, ab- above all else, they are one of the major markers of distinction between the people and the killbots. Yes. And it, it, it goes a layer deeper with Attack of the Crab Monsters, too, because that's a cheesy 50s uh, uh, kind of monster movie. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's deeply fleshly. It's not, it, it, they, they weren't watching like, um, you know, like any of the number of fifties movies about killer robots, right? They were watching one about killer crabs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's biological conflict, it's biological turmoil, and then now entering into it is this automized conflict. It's this thing with no agency and no direction that operates loosely under under the dictates of capitalism and profit, mm-hmm. but in and of itself has no direction. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Once again, I think an ironclad take that we've developed. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to talk about malls to wrap to kind of wrap things up? Let's do it. I I think this is I think malls are malls are interesting for a couple of reasons, which is like firstly, especially for um younger people, they f- function as a kind of communal space. Um you know, if the only kind of place to to go hang out in your town was the mall, then that would be the you know, that would be the place that you would go and it might be the place that like you buy your own clothes or you you know, you get coffee, you'd hang out with your friends. So there's a kind of like shared public space, but it's also intensely privatized. It isn't it isn't truly public. It is enclosed uh, and owned and controlled. And you're only allowed to be there, um, not because you're hanging out with your friends, but because you're a potential customer. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, uh, malls are the contemporary uh, neoliberal enclosure of the commons land, and we should take them back. Yeah, and there is there is so many like deeply important sub conversations to have within this. Um, in the United States, especially if you want to do political organization and stage a protest, you know uh, we have a myth that you need to grapple with because technically, you can freely protest on public land. However, what public land is is virtually non-existent. Those those government owned spaces are are there are many cities where the sidewalks are privately held, where that yep. park that you think is a government-owned park where you could where you could stage some kind of uh, you know political action, mm, that's a privately held park owned by mm-hmm. a company and you're going to get kicked out. And places where people congregate naturally are almost universally uh, privately held spaces. Right? Malls, malls are, are deeply waning now and, and ever-increasingly shuttering under worsening economic conditions. Uh, however, in their heyday, malls were major sites of congregation, but staging a protest at a mall incredibly difficult because security and cops would just kick you out. And also, architecturally, they're designed to resist that as well, right? Mm, they're designed. Yeah. We should talk. We should also bring in things like uh, hostile architecture, the lack of benches, because mm-hmm. um, benches are said to uh, attract people who are homeless. You know, the uh, restrictions on things like uh, public toilets. All of these are designed to kind of coincide with this privatization of space. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Even even though like there and there's so much to dig into this too, right? And like in all of the specifics, the armrests on benches, those aren't armrests. Those are designed to make it impossible to lay down. Yep. Right. Uh, uh, there, there's a reason why you you have to uh, pay however many pence to access the bathroom at the train station. And it has nothing to do with funding the train station or funding rail. No, oh, no, absolutely not. Because those facilities are privatized anyway. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's about asset ec- extraction. Yes, and access, and who is allowed to use these spaces, and this all goes back to that starting scene in the movie where our our movie within a movie deeply codes a criminal by making him look like an unhoused person or at least the the popular conception of someone who is unhoused yeah and i think you know there's a kind of nostalgia to to malls now right there's a kind of nostalgia to them uh, mostly because even that that semblance of public space that that illusory public space of like 
going to the mall to like, you know, find some new music that you wanted to check out or something or, or just to hang out with your friends. That's increasingly impossible, you know? And mm-hmm. so there is a, there is a kind of like hauntology to them, right? This idea of like, they used to be even the, the kind of illusory, the dream of space in which you could kind of exercise some autonomy and you could develop your own cultural and aesthetic tastes by what kind of clothes did you like to buy? What kind of music do you like to listen to? What kind of films do you like to watch? And all of that has kind of been hollowed out and we see them for what they are, which are these kind of decaying uh, uh, cathedrals of, of capitalist ideology, you know, where they, they deliberately strip out all natural light so you get disoriented and can't keep track of what time it is. You know, they're, 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 they're honestly aesthetically hideous, most of them. Uh, there's a massive one here in Manchester, which is almost certainly going to close down. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just, just an absolute blight on, on, on the landscape. But there is, there is a kind of like sort of tragedy to them as well, you know, sort of like nostalgia to it, um, which, I, which I don't think malls are good. But I think the promise that they represented, especially if you went to one when you were younger, the promise that they held is actually a very real thing that's worth trying to reclaim. I think, and I think that is, it's really compelling, right? And, and like our access to malls is just deeply interesting too. You know, mall, malls are a suburban phenomena, you know, yep. like, like malls required transit, you know, and as transit is increasingly eaten away, so are these spaces. And oh, part yeah. of this is because they've always been false commons, you know, like these, these have never been spaces for us. These are spaces for capital. There are spaces for bosses. You know, they have nothing to do with our needs and our desires. Should we finish by talking about how this uh, this film shows us exactly how to treat those robots from Boston Dynamics? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think I think that's like that's like so key to understanding this is like we literally have a company who makes killbots. You know, and like last month boston dynamics released a video of all of their like horrible machines of death just doing little fun dances and like it's honestly horrifying right like you know because that is that is just literal propaganda you know they're making these things at the behest of the department of defense you know like like the fun the fun robot who does who does a little dance and the little robot dog who rolls over and tries to be cute these things are cute now but like never ever forget that these things are made for military purposes and towards military ends and just like we've seen here in the united states and in other countries uh technology that's supposed to be for the military quickly finds itself in the hands of local police departments being used against protesters yeah i want to kind of take this a step further actually and and say it's not just that that that's going on there's also sort of philosophical almost kind of phenomenological uh, issue that we have to be aware of internally so there's a philosopher called nolan gertz who writes about technology a lot there's uh, they have a great book called nihilism and technology where they talk about the fact that um actually it isn't so much that we would kind of choose to uh kind of give up our freedom and responsibility but that we wouldn't want to have that freedom or responsibility. You know, you can't choose what you want to watch on TV. The algorithm will do it for you. You can't choose where you want to go out to eat. The algorithm will deliver food to you. So it's not just that we have to go, okay, these, these things are a danger. We also have to go, actually, our response has been 
deliberately kind of engineered to make us relate to these things. There's mm-hmm. a reason it looks like a dog, right? There's a reason it looks like a dog. Yeah. Because not, and that's not because it's the most effective design. And this goes a, another layer deeper, right? We are that surrounded by technology that even when it isn't anthropomorphized or, or made to look like an animal, we still invest in it. Um, so it's like cars now have um, AI assistants in them. And mm-hmm. companies are really, really interested in like, oh, how do you get people to connect with them? But really, you won't struggle to make them connect with the AI assistant. What you'll struggle to do is get them to disconnect from it, right? If you don't believe me, just think about uh, what happens if you lose your phone, right? We have it. We are emotionally and and psychologically and phenomenologically connected to fields of technology, and that field of technology includes those dangerous. Uh, examples of 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 dancing killbots from Boston Dynamics. So the point is, it's not just that, that this is going to be a threat in five years' time when they start showing up at like trade union marches. The point is, every time somebody shares that cute video or goes, "Oh, look at the innovation," they're actually preparing the ground to make us more likely to accept these things. And that's that's the true horror. You you are so right, and in um <clears throat> in Killbots, aka Chopping Mall, we have we have like a really good example of this in play and this functioning, right? Like um, and I think there there are two good scenes for this, right? At the beginning, we have a couple who are kind of like mocking and commenting it, and and the, and like this 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 movie is full of references to like eating Raoul and bucket of blood and stuff like that. So like I think. We, we we should touch on the fact that one of the things that makes Chopping Mall so good is it's it's a love letter to kind of like this B Corman-esque horror. One thing that's worth mentioning is that two of the people who are killed by the killbots are killed after failing to present their uh uh mall issued security badges that that uh, permit them to be in the mall after hours that stop the killbots from murdering them. Right. If this were to happen in real life, I guarantee you, right, like, like, you know, we would get, you know, like uh, the New York Times would run an article like, was it the janitor's fault that he got killed by the killbot for refusing to present his identification badge? Oh, completely, completely. Yeah. Pe- people, people would sympathize with the killbot. I guarantee mm-hmm. you, I guarantee you that would happen. Right, because we we have been trained to hold the responsibility for this entire system. When the system fails, it's our fault. You know, you you shouldn't be greedy. You shouldn't want to to uh, get benefits from the state. You shouldn't want to do this. You should be a good worker and follow the rules. And if and it's your fault if the killbot tases you to death because you didn't want to show it your badge, is exactly the kind of attitude that we would see. And it would be in, in the mall training guides too. It would, it would be, oh, don't be like this guy who's rude to the killbots. The killbots are your friends here at the shopping center. Yeah, absolutely. There'd be little infomercials at the doors, right? Failure to comply with a with a customer service assistant robot may may result in physical harm. And like, there's all these there's all these legislative efforts right now in the United States that are trying to make it a hate crime uh, to assault police. So, in addition to the, the already monumental charges that come with that, you would be getting hate crime charges on top of it. And it is no stretch of the imagination to say that once this technology proliferates and, and you know, police crime assistance robots are kind of ambiently wandering our streets, 
attacking them, uh, like like I mentioned earlier in the Parisi, is going to be increasingly criminalized. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, it will be, in the eyes of the system, our fault when these things malfunction or indeed function as intended and attack us. Uh, yes, because because neoliberalism knows only to responsabilize the individual. There is no no such thing as a system, and so really, as as Chopping Mall kind of shows us, the only reasonable course of action is to blow these things the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, be mean to to the Boston. If you see a Boston dynamic dog, be mean to it. <laughs> Uh, yes absolutely this um, this technology should be seen as reviled and unacceptable in all instances it, it yes. should be so viscerally disgusting to the core of your being that it, you cannot accept it a hundred percent i couldn't agree more so do you have any other, any any parting thoughts about chopping mall our, our lovable teens and our nightmarish killbots it's amazing uh shout out to barbara crampton for for being a scream queen legend um it's great it's just it's just a, it's just a it's just a really fun time couldn't couldn't agree more it's it's a fun it's a fun movie and our, our teens use solidarity and direct action to defeat these evil robots so gotta, uh gotta give them the old salute for that gotta give them props for that you know and it does hark back to a simpler time, right? It does. Where you and your friends could just be hanging out at the local mall, get your hands on some high-powered weaponry, and go around murdering robots. It's truly this this movie could have only been made by the American imaginary. <laughs> <laughs> a simpler time. Tr- truly. This this is one of the you know, this is this is the thought I'll go out on. Uh, chopping mall if you want to understand a lot of the subconscious machinations of the american psyche is is a window into the soul you know these these horny teens imprisoned in a chopping mall after working their random day jobs uh strapping up with assault rifles and dirty hairy revolvers and then being pitted against uh capitalist technology in a death match really speaks to several hundred years of this country's history absolutely <laughs> uh, so I, d- I just wanted to thank uh howard zinn for writing a people's history of chopping mall <laughs> um i look forward to chopping mall 2 uh which will be set in an amazon warehouse fulfillment center <laughs> actually there, there was going to be a chopping mall reboot and it was going to be supernatural instead of technological oh well oh, what is the point <laughs> I know, I know. Well, the original intention of Chopping Mall, it was going to be uh, like a Phantom of the Opera set in a mall. Mm-hmm. And that that could have potential. But I think at this point, if you're going to use the Chopping Mall branding and and you don't respond to our increasing, increasingly aggressive surveillance state and technological apparatus, you yep. are doing it wrong. <laughs> that That is that is artistic cowardice of the there, highest there order. There will be no Golden Scroll Awards for you if you take that path. <laughs> <laughs> the 
Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. <laughs>